Welcome to the Weekly Deep Dive Podcast on the Add-On Education Network, the podcast where we take a look at the weekly Come Follow Me discussion and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. I am your host, Jason Lloyd, here in the studio with our friend and the show's producer, Nate Pfeiffer. What's up? Dude, Nate, it's good. It's good to be back. I, it's good that it, the now our new intro bump is our friend. I'm just I, glad that I'm now everybody's <laughs> friend. I, I keep waiting for the week where you go back to how we actually like wrote it, you know, like worked it out and talked through it and edited it and worked it down. But I guess maybe you've just found something that's better. This is the thing. This is, this is right, the way. So it's just the way from now on. This is so it. So nobody, nobody listening before 2023 will ever know that it used to be different. New year, new testament, new intro. Sweet. Hey, um... Speaking of New Year, yeah, I, I I did want to go down that just a just a smidget, just a little bit, if okay. I, if I can, please. And and I know you got to tie some stuff up from last week too, so I'll I'll give you some time. You give All me right. some time. We'll, All right. we'll see how this goes. Okay, I'm ready. New Year's festival, New Year's celebrating the New Year's. We're here in 2023. Um, this celebrating the New Year's something that even predates Israel as a nation. I mean, you're talking about the Babylonians doing it in the Akitu festival, the Egyptians doing it. This is a celebration that's probably older than any other celebration that we know of. And I I love the fact that we have a new year. I feel like we always look at time as a linear thing. We're born point A, we go all the way to death point B, and then everything happens in between and that's all part of our integrated history and everything follows this timeline. But a new year reminds us that sacred time is cyclical in nature, and, and it repeats. And part of what makes it special is the opportunity to have a fresh start and a new beginning. And I wanted to go down in the Jewish holiday, Rosh Hashanah, the, the head or chief principle of the year, is their New Year's celebration, is a, is a celebration not of just the new year, but also creation. And they tie creation in with a New Year's celebration. And then they have 10 days followed by the holiest day of, of their entire history and of all their holy days, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And, and I find it so special that they tie Day of Atonement in with the New Year's. And it is because of an atonement, it is because of Christ, that we do have an opportunity for a new birth, a new opportunity, a new chance. And, and so I'm grateful for a new year and looking forward to, to the 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 opportunity to repeat but maybe perhaps a little bit better from what we did last year nice i like it yeah so nate okay so last week when we were talking about our processes when we got done recording there was something that i totally forgot i wanted to talk about but then i was like dude i don't i'm too tired to go back in and edit this in and it probably doesn't need it anyways but it's been haunting me this week because it's been popping up in my life. I'm going to throw this to you. I'm going to, I'm going to throw something out there and see if see if if this is at least something that needs to be at least quickly quickly talked about because it really is important to the theme of what we were talking about last week. So, kind of to start last week when I was talking about like uh how I was talking about the processes of making an album. One of the most important things that I forgot to really like actually go into which which is you have to start somewhere right you have to make that first record if you're if you're trying to record you know your your music or whatever you have to do it that first time and you will have no idea what you're doing right and that's why people in this world luckily for me hire me 
because I have done it a thousand plus times at this point, right? And so they they can they can rely on the fact that I have a process and that I've done this process and that this process works. People will people really will you know contact me saying hey, you know, I, I like the other albums that you've produced or these other songs that you've produced. You have a track record that speaks for itself. I would like to hire you to help me, you know, record something. And what they're also saying, whether actually out loud or not, is I don't know the process the way that you do, so I'm coming to you to help teach me that process or help me experience that process. And so while we're doing this, you know, when inevitably there are conflicts that that may arise in this process or differences of opinion or a place where they're just totally unfamiliar with how the the process of recording a song works they'll go hey man I'm just gonna have to rely on you on this one because I really just don't know but what's amazing is is that the more and more they start to do it um and record with various other people even is that they learn different people's processes and they start to become confident in knowing where to speak up or where really they don't need to speak up because that's not what's even going to be on the final recording. It's just the experimentation or whatever that is, right? Like all of the different important parts of this, of this, um, this thing that we're doing, right? Recording and how that obviously relates to me is like, and and this is why it's been haunting me all week is because, you know, we've been doing come follow me with our kids and they're at such different places, even though they're, they're so close in age, right? 10, eight, four, and now this infant, right? But the it as we were as I was talking to them about you know the process of finding truth today because that's really the only thing I'm I'm focused on with them right now is teaching them the doctrine, but more than anything, teaching them how to feel the spirit so that they can always know what to rely on. It really hit me that it's like oh, they're learning this process for the first time. It's totally okay that I give them somebody that they can rely on early on while they're learning these processes. And they're, they're Sunday school teachers, the same, right? They're, they're aunts and uncles and their grandparents or whoever, right? Like there's that, that there is that part of the big picture process is inevitably finding people that you can trust and rely on because of their track record. Right. But that you can, you can then go, and this this isn't even just as in our youth, but when when we when we come upon tough times in life, that we can look to other people, we can lean on them, and hopefully in that learning um, process for us, when we see what's happening on the other side, which which is oh great things work out, and I'm oh this makes me happier, oh that that's a good way to find questions or, or answers to questions. That when inevitably somebody else in your life comes along that, that is in the same place that you were, you can then be that person for them to rely on, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does Is this making any sense at all? Is, is this tying together well or not? <laughs> yeah, I I think of the, the two great commandments, the first one to love God, but the second one to love your neighbor. And, and as you're explaining that, and talking about finding someone that you can trust, I, I feel like that was always a big part of God's plan is being able to reach out and help those that are around you and that we're not put here in isolation. God doesn't just send us into a cubicle with a written test to figure <laughs> out how we're going to, to behave or respond. Yes. 
but we're experiencing this with a lot of other people experiencing this. And, and part of it is how we interact with each other and finding strength to help people when they don't have the strength. And, and I love that because it's going to play actually a significant role in today's lesson. Great. Well, let's dive right in, baby. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to cut you off, though, if there's anything You're else you want to You're not cutting me off at all, no. Because I, I feel like last week's discussion on processes and, and responsible for our own learning and, and where you're taking this today with, with that trust and, and relying on other people is going to play a significant role in the genealogy, believe it or not. And, and this is kind of your favorite deal, right? The, the begatting. Begats, baby. Oh, dude, do we need, do we need another one? It is. We, we get two sections of begatting in the New Testament, and we get to talk about the first one today in Matthew chapter 1. And let's just dive right into it. Okay, so Matthew chapter 1. First thing I want you guys to realize as we're reading this is, verse 2, it begins, Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. We're starting with Abraham. Matthew is willing to leave things out. He's not going back to Noah. He's not going back to Adam like Luke does later on. And not only is he willing to leave things out, but when you read this first verse, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob, Judas, and his brethren, you you get these little interjections, these little detours. So he's also willing to add things in. And and this genealogy, by the way, has created a stumbling block. And, And that's that's where I want to tie this in from last week is is Christ and the gospel so many times is either a foundational stone that we can build on or it's a stumbling block that we tend to trip on. And when people look at this genealogy and it doesn't line up with the one in Luke, even though they're both terminating in Joseph, and and they say, why is it different? And in fact, Matthew's even leaving a few people out through the king list, not even just starting with Abraham, but he's leaving people out. And, and maybe one of the most glaring mistakes, go to verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David unto the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Is that so, Matthew? How come then... When you go to verse 11, when you talk about Jaconius being traveled, carrying away to Babylon, and now we're going to go through the next list, and they were brought to Babylon, and then he goes through, and he lists all the way to Christ, 13 generations. Why does he say there's 14, and yet only list 13? And, and what's happening here is the building of a stumbling block. And people at this point, I, I think a lot of people will look at it, and they say, you know what? I can't believe the gospel. They're not being honest. I mean, right off the get-go, this isn't, how can I trust this? How can I trust this process? How can I go forward with this? And, and, and they turn away and, and they get nothing from it. They're done. Nothing. But if we're willing to be patient and, and look at this, I, 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 here's, here's what I think is going on. How do you call attention to something? How easy is it for us to, 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 to almost, in a sense, fall asleep when people are talking to us or, or, or we're listening to a talk or a sermon or maybe even a podcast? Maybe you're drifting off right now. But, but what calls attention more to something than, than when there's a mistake? Dude, it's like when I watch Jurassic Park. 
for uh-huh. the first time when I was like, I don't know, 10 or 11 and our parents for some reason let us go to the theaters at 10 or 11 to watch scary PG-13 movies. But like immediately you were just like, wait a minute, a T-Rex was just standing on top of that. Now it's like this huge like pit over, you're just like, that is, but I remember it however many years later. That's the detail that stands out. That's the detail that stands out is like the, how they blew that in the in the filming of that. So so because this genealogy is not what we expect, it has called so much scrutiny and attention that that it is something that stands out. It is a detail, and and as people start to study and analyze and realize what it is, they, they a lot of the artistic value starts to come out. And Matthew is a Hebrew writer. And we're transitioning from the Hebrew world in Old Testament to a Greek world in the New Testament. All of the books in the New Testament are written in Greek, except for they believe that Matthew was originally written in Hebrew and possibly the book of Revelation. And Matthew is one of the earliest books that was ever written. And his his Hebrew background and his tying us to the Old Testament as a good bridge into the New Testament is going to be pulling some of this artistic value that we saw from last year's study. We didn't notice, even though we believed that this was to be written, in, that this book was written in Hebrew, we didn't have a Hebrew text to study or analyze for a very long time. We've since found Hebrew versions of Matthew. And when we go through the genealogy list of Matthew and we get down to the very end of it, uh, verse 16, and Jacob begat Joseph. And in, in Greek, it says the man of Mary. And, and the man of Mary, we're, we're taking uh, just like Hebrew, ish often is used to be husband. So it's translated the husband of Mary, of, of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. In the Hebrew, though, the word isn't ish, man. It's actually av, father. And Jacob begat Joseph, the father of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. So instead of talking about two people that were married to each other, they're actually talking about Jacob next, Joseph, the father of Mary, which inserts one more generation link into it and ties it up to 14 generations, just as Matthew had had talked about. So if, if, if you were patient enough, and, and I think that's going to be a big part of today's lesson, is being patient enough to see the word of the Lord fulfilled, you you finally realize that there was an explanation, that there was something there, and that maybe that early judgment that he was wrong or he was lying was something that was made in haste. Love it. I, I also think, for what it's worth, it's kind of interesting that Christ coming in the meridian of times and being introduced to the world came from his father... Joseph and grandfather Joseph, that you have two generations of Joseph introducing Christ into the world. Mm. Yeah, talk about art mm. and and patterns. And when he comes back in the in the second time to restore the gospel and bring light back to the earth, it's to a young man named Joseph, whose father's name is also Joseph. Okay, love that. Okay, yeah, let's keep going. All right, let's um as as, as we're talking about patterns here, uh, real quick as we look through the line, there there is something that needs to be said, and there there is points that that are going to tie us back to what you were saying, Nate, about trusting others in the process. When you look at Judah, 
bearing Ferris. Um, it, he, Ferris is not one of his original three sons, right? His his three sons kind of don't end up producing offspring. It's it's he's kind of thrown things away, and it's going to be restored through Tamar, this outsider, and and through Tamar he's able to 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 beget children, and and you're going to see this pattern as we talked about next. Um, Salmon beget Boaz of Rahab, and if you remember, Rahab is the prostitute in Jericho that gets saved from a city that was going to be destroyed. And now she's going to marry into the line that's going to become the kings, the the future kings of Israel, and not just the future kings, but the future Messiah. And it's an outsider. And then you'll see it next with Obed of Ruth. And, And so not only is Matthew leaving people out, but he's going out of his way to include these outsiders. And Look at verse 6. And Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon, of her that had been the wife of Urias. Now, he had just barely stated Ruth's name and Rahab's name, but rather than state Bathsheba's name, he says her that was the husband of Urias. So what's the connecting link to these outsiders is, is that they are outsiders. Urias was a Hittite. Uh, Ruth was a Moabite, or excuse me, she was a, a Can- um, Rahab was a Canaanite, Ruth was a Moabite. You have these outsiders that are not part of Israel, and, and what it seems to be suggesting is Israel keeps doing things that are going to frustrate the line. They're going to frustrate the Lord's work. They're going to stop or prevent the Lord from coming, but the Lord will take an outsider to bring it in and to save them and redeem them in the end. So his line is not just a purely Jewish line, but over and over and over again, it shows the help of a stranger, a Gentile, or someone else that you need to lean on that's going to save the line and and show that this isn't just a, a Messiah for these people. This is a Messiah for the world. Sweet. Does that make sense? Totally it does. Let's keep going. All right. There's... Maybe, maybe here's a good time to ask this question. Okay. Why is Christ coming through Judah? Because <laughs> you look at those brothers, I, I, I would say, like, wouldn't Joseph be a fitting example? Like, he's the one that saved the family. Wouldn't he be a good line to send the Savior of the world to, to, to come it through? It's interesting that you would say that because— my thought would be that wouldn't follow the rest of the pattern, though, of the Old Testament and the lineage, right? And if if Christ is supposed to be born of the most humble of circumstances, it almost needs to be that that even his even the even his genealogy, even the family dynamics that are his predecessors there has to be there has to be some mud in the water there right like i mean it's just it's 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 like no you can't come from just the greatest of (laughs) families right (laughs) like i mean because the thing is like that's something that people have to learn how to overcome so so i i think that uh that's why i'm trying to think i'm just trying to remember if if judah was the worst though no no i don't think he was the worst he was the worst either uh here's and and judah's 
kind of save Joseph and and telling his brothers, let's not kill him. Let's try yes. to save him. Let's try to you know, and and it's interesting because when the family's about to die from famine, and remember his father sends them to Egypt. Why are you sitting here on your backsides while there's grain in Egypt and we die? Go get it. They go down to Egypt, and Joseph takes one of the sons captive, right? And they come back to their dad, and he says he won't let the son go until we bring Benjamin back. Yes. And his dad's like, I'm, I'm not going to let Benjamin go. I've lost Joseph. Benjamin would kill me. I'm not going to do it. And we get to this point, and, and, and you have this moment, Nate, where the decision is, who will I send? And there are two brothers that respond. Reuben first says, here am I, send me, right? But what he says is, and my children will be security. If I don't bring Benjamin back, you can kill my children. So what's on the line for Reuben? I mean, his posterity. His posterity, but is anything of his self personally Mm, vested? Interesting. Well... (laughs) I see what you mean, but it is hard. I mean, if you ask that question straight up and say, is any of himself personally invested? I'm like, yes, his children. Like, that's that's a big deal, dog. It is. It is but a I big understand, deal. I understand the symbolism of what we're going for here. But but he's he's looking for, on the plus side, he gets the glory. But on the downside, it's it's Jacob's posterity. It's Jacob's children. Which he knows children. Jacob's not going to kill. Yes. Which he knows. He knows that that's like, it's almost like a... Uh, that's the better. That's the better thing that, to describe what this this offering is. Is that he knows that his grand his father is not going to kill his grandsons. So so a second person offers, and this is Judah. And what does he say? He also says, "Send me, but if I don't come back, or if I don't if I don't bring Benjamin back, I'll I'll be the one to die." Let it be on me. Yeah. I will be his assurance for, for yes. Benjamin. And and I will take this and I will bear this responsibility rather than putting the responsibility on somebody else. And and I almost look at this as as a type, as a symbol, right? You you have two people in the beginning that offered to come and save the world in two very different ways. And so it's interesting that from Judah, you do get the line of the Messiah when he's saying, let me take the responsibility. Let me take the consequences so that I might save my family, so that I might build everybody up. Where someone else is saying, let me take the glory. And if it doesn't work out, may the children suffer because of it. Well, and it is interesting, too, if you look at the story that this is obviously referring to in the pre-earth life, is that even though Satan also did get, like, the bad end of it, really, like, his his children, right, like, his followers, that's a bummer for them. You know what I mean? Like, if you if you look at the—it's it's like, if you look at the big picture, it's like, that's—it's it's almost more of a bummer for them because— we don't talk about them. You know what I mean? Like they're just, they're just the, they're just the dudes that got deceived and, and just have to now be punished for it forever. Like they don't even get any of the, they don't even get any of like the, I don't know. Like Satan at least has people starting churches for him. Like, I don't, I don't know. You know what I mean? I'm just saying like, like it, which is terrible. But even then it's like all of like, you know, he, he, 
gets to walk around claiming he's the god of this world, right? And it's like all of his followers are just these miserable saps that chose the wrong door, man. It's funny that how that even relates to that too, which is just like, can you imagine? Can you imagine Ruben's kids being like, "Wait a minute," <laughs> <laughs> when they hear this discussion in the other room, going like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait a wait a second here, just a second, <laughs> just one second. We, <laughs> it is interesting, dude. Is this is this more evidence to your um, question that you have posed on a few occasions to me? That is, is Satan, the older brother of the two. You know, it could be. There's, there's a lot of the really one, right? I'm saying there's a lot of really interesting little subtle, subtle clues and hints, little breadcrumbs that uh, the scriptures have given us. But we, we won't go f- too far down that uh, deep doctrine, <laughs> deep doctrine thing that we don't have an answer to, by the way. Right, right. But I, but I do find it significant that, that Matthew here this genealogy story is actually very loaded. There's a lot going on and, and there's a lot of questions that we can ask from this and a lot we can gain and sermons that we can pull just out of these few verses that you just think, what, what's this begatting have to do with anything? And, and going to the reliance on the stranger, the, 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 these Gentiles that come in and help out this line. And you talk about Judah and his brothers being mentioned Later on in the text, you have Jeconiah and his brothers, which is mentioned the exact same phrase. And and the similarity there between Judas and Jeconiah, Judas had given away his ring and his staff to a prostitute. And, and look at what Jeconiah had done. He lost his power, his throne, to the Babylonians, his ring and his staff, if you will. And, and the promise in the Old Testament was that the scepter shall not depart from Judah until the Messiah comes. You're like, well, wait a second. Didn't it depart in Jeconiah's time when he was carried away captive into Babylon? Because now Babylon ruled over. They lost the kingship. They lost that line. And, And the reason I think you look at this and you see how Matthew ties the two together, just like Judas, Jeconiah, he didn't lose the staff because it was taken away. Israel had given it. In their prostitution, in seeking a prostitute, they had given that away, and yet the Lord intervened to bring it back to them. Just as he sent Tamar there, who took that and brought it back to Judas and said, it's by whoever owns these that I did this, and he redeemed the line. That is the story of Christ's line. It's a story of redemption over and over and over again, just as Judah here is trying to sacrifice himself to made up to make up for what he did to Joseph, to what happened to Joseph, to try to fix things. It's a, li- it's a line of sacrifice. And, and the, the interesting thing is that the Babylonians play just as an important role as Ruth does, as Rahab does, as Urias does. And so it's interesting that you take this and you go into chapter 2, which we'll talk about next week, the birth story of Christ. Who does Matthew bring up? as the ones that visit the Savior. It's not the shepherds. It's not the local people. Mm. It has to be the outsiders, the outsiders, the wise men, the magi, just as he's talking about Babylon, just as he's talking about these Gentiles, it is the outsiders. When, by the way, the insiders reject, how do they receive the king? And he tells us Herod sought to kill the king. 
just as the Israel had tried to frustrate the Lord's plan to sell themselves, to go into whatever, and to cut this line off, the Lord steps up, and from outsiders, this is the story of Christ. Outsiders will believe him when his own people rejects him, and you see that right up front. And I mean, even after even after his death and resurrection, like the the church among the Jews was struggling to survive, right? But yes. as soon as it hit the Gentiles, I mean, you know, it's like the Gentiles saved Christianity. Absolutely. Like, like physically. And and then even if you look at the, you know, the the various wars where, you know, where certain people were trying to just extinct Jews wholesale, right? And the nations, the Christian nations from around the world, you know, came together and and rescued them and then restored them to their land. Like I, I'm just saying it's like history continues to repeat itself, I feel like. This genealogy goes right back to Isaiah, and kings shall be your nursing fathers and your nursing mothers. And this isn't just a gospel for you. Right from this genealogy, you get the exclamation point or the fine point on Christ saying, you claim Abraham as your father, but I tell you, I can raise of these stones seed unto Abraham. It's it's much more broad than this, and, and it's very prophetic of what you're going to see with the life of Christ, how he's received, and who reverences him after and where it's going to go. So it's, it's kind of cool awesome. to see that symbolism all play out even before he came. This is thousands of years in the making. Yeah, when we were uh, when we were in Sunday school today, that's it was the, kind of the question was like asked like, hey, did anybody gain any you know any kind of new insight this last year reading through the Old Testament? And for me, it was like, well, I'd never read the Old Testament, so all of it's kind of new insight. <laughs> but for me, it was the view at you know at a five hundred feet above it, which is these the patterns that we see like when we start like literally the more you zoom out you still see the patterns but just in in just bigger in in bigger cycles right and the stories that we learn about are like the kind of like you were bringing about a couple of these old testament stories or, or these small little things where you see you see a situation and by itself you go and oh, that's just a weird story but then you start to see that pattern. You go, oh, okay, well, these are connected somehow. And then you step back, right? You zoom out and you go, okay, well, that last thousand years is basically that same story. Oh, you zoom back. Oh, that 2,000 years. Is, oh, my goodness. You know, it's like, and that's, um, and that's, you know, I know people say all the time, well, you know, we read the scriptures to know about what's going to happen next. And you're like, eh, that's, that seems like a pretty broad, you know, like, I don't know, pretty broad stroke to say like, yeah, well, I mean, Yes, history is people killing each other and and then not killing each other for a while and then killing each other. You know what I mean? It's like sure, history does repeat itself, but when you when you start really seeing the patterns in the way that God shapes his people and then maybe you zoom in and you go, "Oh, maybe this is the way that God shapes his church." And then you zoom in even more and you're like, oh, this is the way that God shapes us, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Yes. And and even kind of how we were talking a little bit about even before the show, like I don't, I don't want to give it away too much now, but we were talking about how you look at the creation process and you're like, oh man, that's the process of of becoming a God, right? Like that, it's like, oh my goodness, like even, even these huge, huge millennia ordeal still can be boiled down to 
oh yeah, well that's the process of becoming a better person. Separating light from dark. Separating the chaos from the calm. And then eventually even being willing to sacrifice your own body to to further creation, right? And so and so I guess I'm I, what I'm saying is is like I kind of take I kind of poke fun at the begats a little bit. You know what I mean? Like we have fun with it a little bit. Yeah. But I really do appreciate you giving a good understanding of why that's so important to these patterns that we're seeing through the scriptures. Well, and it's it's cool that they keep saying that the outsiders are important to this pattern. And and so far in the Old Testament, we keep looking at this from people inside Israel, all of these images, prophets that have been types and shadows of Christ, Moses and, and how he's a type of Christ, Jonah and how he's a type of Christ. But what's interesting is Christ is saying, or the gospel saying, the scriptures are saying, this is much bigger than that. It's not just religion for the religious. It's not just within this. It is for outsiders and, and everyone outside. And going to that I want to look at another type of Christ that perhaps nobody's considered outside of the Bible. I want to go to Julius Caesar. Oh, ooh, interesting. <laughs> okay. okay. Julius Caesar is emperor shortly before the coming of Christ. And I want you to consider what happened with Julius Caesar. All I know is et tu, Brute. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and we'll get to Brutus. But first... <laughs> Brutus, which sounds like Judas. It does. Please tell me we were going to say that so that I can sound really smart. <laughs> no, you're smarter. You, uh, you. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. In, in fact, Dante's Inferno, when you go down to the different layers of hell, yep. who are in the bottom layers of hell in Satan's mouth? Brutus and Judas. No way. Yep. I need to read that. I can't believe I haven't read that yet. Okay, so there, there are obviously some similarities there because they were betrayed by their best friend, right? Who who conspired to kill Caesar? The other senators, right? The Senate. What what was Sanhedrin? Be? Yes. Oh my goodness, dudes! I'm on a roll right now. <laughs> Keep sending me questions, baby. I'm on this right now. Keep and, going. And and what was it that that got Caesar? What what was the the the, the thing that he did that that got him crucified or killed? He basically declared himself king, crossing the Rubicon. Oh, damn. right. His triumphal entry. Yes. Into Rome. As 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 emperor, because the Senate was worried that they that he was going to take the power away from them. Yes, and, and he was pierced, run through with. Yeah, everybody came and stabbed him. Yes, and You're blowing my mind right now. But I'm also blowing my own mind right now that I remember <laughs> any of this stuff from like my sophomore year of high school's history. I, I, I it's want been that to, long since I've taken a history class. I I, I want to read. Uh, an excerpt uh, from some of the the people that lived at the time of Caesar. Okay, uh, this is going to be this is going to be from Virgil. I don't know who that is, but we'll we'll take Virgil's <laughs> we'll take his word for it. Okay, Virgil. Virgil. Virgil sounds like he's from Ohio or Florida, maybe. Okay, Virgil writes. He's a contemporary of Caesar. And he's talking about the death of Caesar. He says, in short, the message of late evening, the quarter whence the wind drives clear the clouds, the purpose of the rainy south of all the sun will give you signs. Who dare say the sun is false? 
He and no other warns us when dark uprisings threaten, when trajectory and hidden wars are gathering strength. He and no other was moved to pity Rome on the day that Caesar died. When he veiled his radiance in gloom and darkness, and a godless age feared everlasting night, yet in this hour earth also and the plains of ocean, ill-boding dogs and birds that spell mischief, sent signs which heralded disaster. How oft before our eyes did Etna deluge the fields of the Cyclops with a torrent from her burst furnaces, hurling thereon balls of fire and molten rocks. Germany heard the noise of battle sweep across the sky, and even without precedent, the Alps rocked with earthquakes. A voice boomed through the silent groves for all to hear. A deafening voice and phantoms of unearthly pallor were seen in the falling darkness. Horror beyond words, beasts uttered human speech. Rivers stood still. The earth gaped upon, and the temple's ivory images wept for grief, and beads of sweat covered bronze statues. Kings of waterways, the post swept forth along in the skirts of its frenzied current, carrying him over the, carrying with him over the plain, cattle and stalls alike. Nor in the same hour did sinister filaments cease to appear, and ominous entrails of blood to flow from the wells of our hillside towns to echo all night with the howl of wolves. Never fell more lightning from a cloudless sky. Never was comet's alarming glare so often seen. That's a lot of ancient speech, just to sum this up. Sounds gnarly, though. Yeah. Wolves were howling. The sun was eclipsed. Darkness covered the face of the earth. Lightning and tempest were raging. Earthquakes were happening. Volcanoes were bursting. All of nature was mourning the death of the emperor. Whose death does that sound like? It's crazy. It's it's wild. And, and not only that, Caesar was... The, the first Roman citizen to ever be deified. That's right. That's right. They, they, and so you here you have this symbol of a man who comes in and, and he's betrayed by his own, killed by the Sanhedrin, pierced with, with the knives, and, and there's a, an eclipse after him and all of these things. And, and this happens in the natural world as a precursor, a sign of what's about to come in the Roman Empire and the kingdom to one far greater than Caesar. It's awesome. Rad. It's great stuff. Kind of. Nobody else is talking about this. <laughs> Maybe there's a good reason. Maybe there's a good reason, or maybe maybe the only reason is, is because that's why you listen to this podcast is because we're, <laughs> we're bringing you stuff you're not going to be hearing anywhere else, for better or for worse. And maybe maybe one other interesting thing about old Julius Caesar. Old Julius. Old Julius. Do you know what the name Julius means? Um, does it have something to do with like? Um, like a beverage where you put like oranges and milk or something? No, no, it means son of God. I'm thinking of an orange Julius. Yeah, the the name the name Julius um, actually comes from the son of Jove. Jove in the Roman mythology was the king of the gods, hmm. um, also known as Jupiter. So so Julius Caesar, I, he was the the son of God that was killed, that became a god, that the whole earth mourned. Wow. And and there's something interesting here to be said about this. I I feel like uh, this is what's kind of fun about this week's lesson is we're talking about Matthew 1, Luke 1, and it's before the birth of Christ. We're kind of setting the sage 
for when Christ is going to come. With the genealogy here, um, we're going to talk about Zacharias and Elizabeth here shortly. But in this time frame, I mean, give you a little bit of historical context. Right before he comes, you have Julius Caesar. And, and right after Julius Caesar, you're going to have Mark Anthony. And, and he's going to allow Herod to come in, and Herod's going to conquer all of Israel for Rome and become the king of the Jews, this, this king of the Jews, and usurp that power. And we talked about this last year with the substitute king ritual. And, and we said that when you would see an eclipse, it would represent that the, the gods, the heavens were upset with the king or ruling authority, Right. When, when Herod is, is approached by these wise men and, and he seeks to kill the king of the Jews because that's his title, his legacy, his family, and he doesn't want another king taking his spot, shortly thereafter, there is a lunar eclipse as recorded by Josephus, and, and Herod contracts a terrible illness and dies. Rip. And the fact that it's a lunar eclipse, so if you look at the emperor of Rome being the sun, then the king being the moon would be, would be a Herod. It's, it's interesting that you have this eclipse associated with before his death is, is the sign that the gods are upset. But when you have an eclipse after the death, as is the case with Caesar, and also which will be the case with Christ when he is crucified, it's not a sign that they're displeased with the God, or excuse me, the gods are, are displeased with the king, but rather that now the heavens are mourning the loss of the king. Got it. Okay. Let's talk about Zacharias, shall we? Why not? <laughs> when we're, why, why do you have the story about Zacharias and his wife in the, the this priest here officiating in the temple and he receives this, this vision? Yeah, do you do you want to It's very Abraham it's very Abrahamy. It is. Abrahamy. <laughs> That's an interesting way of putting it. I don't care what you think. <laughs> I mean, I actually really really do. Abrahamic. Abrahamic? I I like Abrahamy. Abrahamy. Um I like how it resonates with Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 54 when they talk about who shall declare his generation for he was cut off from the land of the living, this idea that he can't have, and then he's going to sacrifice his soul. And then when he does, and, and he finished this in Isaiah 54, then seeing, O thou that was barren that could not bear, and more are the wife of the barren than the wife of the married. And, and the tents, enlarge the tents, because they're going to be stretching on the left and the right. And here you have... Zacharias is the Hebrew word for Jehovah has remembered. Hmm. And Elizabeth is the Hebrew for God's oath. So here you have the marriage. God has remembered his oath. And the husband and the wife who were barren, the Lord and his people, for a long time have not been able to to produce offspring to the Lord. They, they've lost that light in Israel. They can't save them. And they're barren. Apostasy has reigned. But now, after a long time of apostasy in this older couple, you're going to have a birth of a son who's going to herald in. A miraculous the, birth. A miraculous birth. No, the, 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 um, 
No more miraculous than Christ himself who's going to come and offer a way by offering himself for all of us to be born again, right? And and that's what I see with this family as I see a returning of a covenant that God has remembered after a long time and that you didn't think you'd be able to, but guess what? You can. He, he He's restoring you. He's going to return you. And through here is, is a herald that's going to bring the good news that Christ is going to restore Israel, maybe spiritually more so than physically. It's awesome. Love that. That's yeah. that is fantastic insight. And the thing is, it's symbolic too of the front runner, right? Like of the, of the four, the forerunner, whatever, right? What do we what do we call in Elias, Elijah? That's God. exactly right. I, I just said... I love that. There's I love that there. This is continuing though a pattern, and I love that because this is. This is John the Baptist, right? Mm-hmm. I love that that it's showing a pattern. It's it's establishing even this new pattern too, and it's and it's connecting it to these old Hebrew prophets and traditions that that the um you know that the the Jews at the time know and are super familiar with. I don't know. I th- I just think that there's something that's really profound about about even reestablishing the covenant right in this way and you know when you look at john the baptist's role in this whole thing it it it, it's awesome that even by a miraculous birth he's he's brought to this earth you know well what's interesting is what happens after the baron is able to build children arise put on your beautiful garments right so first you have elizabeth and zacharias but then you're going to have Joseph, and, and that means he will add, and you have Mary. Now, the, the Hebrew name for Mary is interesting because some scholars will say this comes from Miriam, which is their rebellion. And you're talking about Moses' older sister who rebelled and, and, and some of the issues there. But it's not Miriam, it's, it's, it's Mary. And then you have another group of scholars that say, you know what, maybe this comes from the Hebrew um, memresh resh marar, which is bitter. And you have the bitter waters test to see if someone's a virgin and they drink the bitter water and where she's a virgin. Maybe there's something, connections there. But there is a Hebrew word, mare, so M-R-H, mare, which sounds a lot more like Mary, which is appearance. And, And not only just appearance, but it's used typically in association with something that is of good appearance. And so first you have the restoration that now you can have children. God has remembered his covenant. The barren is going to bring forth child. But now what's following, put on your beautiful garments. And who are the beautiful garments of Israel? Is it not the people, the, the, the people that are going to be born into the church or baptized? They're going to be, the, the people make up the clothing. And, and through this, you're going to get this with Christ. But as, as Mary's name, as a symbol of beauty, think think of I, I don't think we can go into the birth of Christ or Joseph and Mary without going into the Book of Mormon when Nephi sees Mary and he describes her as a virgin who is beautiful above all appearance. And you talk about how how beautiful she was. It seems like appearance fits her name far better than anything else. And he will add to their appearance and it'll become a beautiful people and, and, and that's to follow with, with what's happening. Something that I kind of just remember too. So I, you'd, I've already told you, you know, that I'm, I'm going to be, 
I'm going to be rereading Jesus the Christ as we're kind of going along through this, but it, it's what I what I remember, and we'll get there eventually too. But what I love um, is that is that even in the text, Talmadge kind of even talks about how the 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 miracles that Christ performed constantly almost built in greatness upon the previous miracle and that and that Talmadge even wonders at times if Christ himself is almost learning how great he is in this process right like learning truly how how powerful being the son of an actual god is and that and that even and that maybe even part of one of the most quoted scriptures Jesus wept is is the overwhelmingness of Christ himself even starting to fully grasp his power right of raising somebody from the dead and maybe in that realizing that the greatest of all miracles is possible but it's it's funny because this is almost like a little preview of it right like the miraculous the, or the miracle that is two old barren people getting together and having a child but that almost just sets the stage for even the more miraculous situation where neither of, of them neither of them that's what i'm saying right like that it's that it's that it's a, it's a virgin birth at that point even then after you know what i mean it's yeah. like it's like even these miracles we're starting to even start like seeing these little patterns pop up too where it's like you have a miracle and 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 speaking of the 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 you know and we'll get into this but even speaking of Jesus wept right is what was what was the what was the miracle what was the great miracle right before before raising um you know Lazarus from the dead was was Jerry's daughter right yeah. where it's like it's like almost dead but then it's like oh, okay cool but it's like no 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 now wait for this now 3 days dead 3 days dead you see what i mean and so i think that this is like as we're kind of talking through this and and i love this so much because this is where the more i feel like you're going back to last week the more that we're willing to put in time pondering these things and understanding these things we really start to see these patterns show up and then we can ask ourselves, okay, but why is that important for me? And I, th- I can't help but think of so many times in my life where you go, you look at, you look at a miraculous mercy from God, and you're like, man, that's awesome. And you can almost start seeing God go, okay, well, that's just to prepare you for this one. Or you, or you look at these things that we're called to do, these, these miracles that we are being asked, we're asked to maybe, maybe give a blessing or, or, or whatever that is, or, or take a risk and get a new job or whatever. And it's like, even almost as we start ourselves seeing miracles, almost being, being performed by our hands, maybe there's some, maybe there's a bigger point in that too, to go this is just to, this is just so that you can start seeing how great the power of God truly is in your life and who knows where that eventually is going to lead 
in this life or the next life, right? Like maybe that's maybe that pattern that we're talking about right now isn't just to go, oh, that's cool in the scriptures. Maybe that's a pattern that we're being told right now, like start learning this. Maybe maybe we look at God's miracles and say, that's for somebody else. I'm I'm just an outsider. Exactly. That that's for people that are actually like diehard that that are hardcore that that like have visions and whatever else. I'm just a little outsider. Why, why do I matter? How does this going to affect me? Is God really going to care about me? And go back and look at that genealogy, you know that that genealogical line, and tell me God didn't care to include outsiders in that story. And maybe to my final thought on the point that you just made. What's what's the what's the greatest thing that we can do in this life? And, and I don't, I don't, I, I mean, maybe there is a specific answer, but I mean, we're told, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're willing to sacrifice yourself to, to bring somebody unto me, that's, that's, that's your ticket in. And so maybe to your, to the answer your question, yeah, maybe, maybe the miracles that, that we are performing don't have to be parting of the Red Sea and they don't have to be having these miraculous visions. Maybe it, it is as simple as look at what happens when you share your testimony. Look at what happens when you overcome an addiction. Look at what happens when you do this. Now you've just set yourself up into a position to perform the greater miracle, which is maybe saving a soul, you know, and maybe it's, maybe it's one Maybe it's just yourself. Maybe you're the one, you know, but whatever that is. Yeah. I just, I, I can't help but, but see myself in, and this is why I love the New Testament so much is because it's, I love how easy it is to start applying these things personally. And I'm glad, I'm glad that there is a miracle in John the Baptist in, in his, in his, miraculous conception because because it set the stage for even the more miraculous conception right and and maybe even go back to the question why judas and the answer is why are you expecting perfection from unperfect people <laughs> that's oh man like oh, that man. there is that's no better gonna... symbol for christ it's exactly right going back to what we talked about with jonah it's it's because we're not perfect that we need Christ. It's because he He is coming to be like us so that we can come to be like him. He's coming to bridge that gap. And you can't have perfect people and bridge a gap when there's no gap. There has right. to be an exact, a gap. It's awesome. Good stuff, man. Um, I did I did tell you guys Sorry. I'd give a little historical context to the New Testament. There's no way we're going to have time to cover this in, in tonight's episode. But I, I'll tell you this. If you want to know what happened from the time the Old Testament ends with Malachi to the time we begin with Matthew and the New Testament, there there's some great books you can read, First and Second Maccabees, which is questionably could be part of the Old Testament, and, and it covers that time period. You have the and and then you also have Josephus, and and we can talk a little bit more about him as the year goes by, but that's going to give you a pretty good idea of what's happening. 
Um, just, just real quick, the, the, the Greeks defeat the Persians, the, the empire splits up, the Seleucids take control of Israel. It kind of goes back and forth with Egypt. And then you have the Hasmoneans revolt, um, Judas Maccabee, you have the miracle that is Hanukkah, they gain their independence. And then they start leaning a little bit on Rome and you have this, this Arab who was forced to be a Jew, who becomes a Jew, who, who rises to prominence by going to the Roman Senate and, and gaining the blessing of Mark Anthony to become king of the Jews and and submits this kingdom there. And, and that sets the stage to now a not free people under Roman rule that, that is the, the time that, that Christ is going to come. But if you want more details than that, first, second Maccabees and Josephus does a really good job of covering that time period. Maccabees feels like a restaurant with like unlimited appetizers. <laughs> All right, what are we talking about next week? The birth of Christ. We yes. get to go into, um, yeah, the the nativity. We just got done with Christmas, but still no better time to go into a lot of the really great symbolisms and, and, and the deeper things that we can learn from these scriptures. I love that they spread it out, and it makes it feel, I just kind of hang on to Christmas a little bit longer. Fantastic. Thanks, Jason, for uh, for all of the prep you've done this week. It's great stuff. I also just wanted to quickly say... Um, we, we got an overwhelming response, um, in comments and emails and feedback from last week. And, um, I, when Jason started showing me that, Hey, we're getting like, like a lot of feedback to this, I initially felt really, um, um, a kind of, I kind of felt like awkward and panicked at first. Cause I was like, Oh man, I hope. I hope I didn't say or do anything that made people feel any sort of obligation to like hit us up. And I was like, oh no, Jason, did I, did I say something? Did I say something brutal or whatever last week that needs it? And, um, so I hope I didn't. And and Jason, you don't think that we did, but either way, um, we were so completely, um, overwhelmed with, um, with the kindness and the feedback that you guys um, submitted last week. I do know that we kind of have jokingly on multiple occasions, you know, we finish recording these go, you know, it, is anybody listening? <laughs> you know, like in theory, the numbers say that there's, you know, a solid amount of people that pull this up each week, but are, you know, are, are we just talking to ourselves? Which, by the way, I would, I, you know, Jason, I love these things that we do. And so it's like, this is so uplifting for me. So I would keep doing it. But needless to say, um, and I, I, won't, I won't speak for you because I know that you have some thoughts and, and you want to say some things too. But what I want to say is, my goodness, that like the feedback and the, I mean, we've we've been getting great feedback all year. But for some reason last week, there was an overwhelming outpouring of, um, kindness to us and it 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 so quickly just completely re-energized me and recommitted me to go to this thing that we're doing and it made me happy to know that you guys are stoked on this and that you appreciate it and look we started this podcast knowing that it wasn't going to be for everybody and we knew that we knew that sometimes our sense of and still you know um and we even appreciate those feedback you know comments too which is like hey look we get it like our sense of humor isn't for everybody um but 
even then the fact that you're willing to to listen and then and then comment and and let us know that you appreciate it i i can't say thank you enough and and i wanted to make sure um and and jason i'm glad you reminded me that i because i wanted to make sure that we we let you know that we did get those comments and and that feedback and thank you so much for that thank you it was it was a wonderful Christmas. It added to it. It was it was amazing to hear from you guys, and I will take time to respond to to all your comments too. And and, and so much we even stole one of your reviews. Oh yeah, that was great. One, <laughs> one of the reviews I read, I was like, this should literally be just the description of our show. Do you have it? I, it was I, so funny. We don't need to read it. Needless to say. You'll it probably, is the description it, of the it show. It is the description of the show. It was basically like, if you ever just wanted to hang out with your buddies in the garage and talk about scripture things and, and you know, try to make sense of all that, I was like, dude, that is literally exactly what our show is. This is a couple. It was amazing. This is a couple buddies that, that sit in a sit in a, a room or a studio and, and talk about scriptures and try to try to make sense of all of it so anyways we we can't thank you enough thank you guys um i hope we didn't do anything that made it feel like um that you needed to feel any sort of obligation to send us the feedback but i i will say even just even just the quick little notes that you guys send us or insights that you guys have had we've we've had some amazing like comments and insights that things that we didn't even consider so if you do feel inspired to send that stuff we love it. We love getting it, and and we're, we will respond to all of that stuff. But um, again, thank you, thank you for listening, and thank you, you know, for leaving the reviews. Our, you know, it, it has helped boost our podcast a lot. So, um, anything else, Jason? No, that's that's it for me. Until next week, see ya.